And I just cried. I literally yeah. just cried. And my boss at the time came in and she said, go. She said, I don't care what you're doing. Yeah. She said, just go and do whatever you need to do. She said, literally just go. And I think I rang my friends. Um, we just went into town and we just basked in the in the environment oh. of what it was. It was like the best pride parade you could ever be a part of. It was like Christmas, Pride, St. Patrick's Day all rolled into one. And you can't, you can't buy that feeling that you felt in May. Uh, it was just absolutely beautiful to walk the streets and see your friends and and just give that look of we we did it yeah. we absolutely did it and now we have a place proudly in this country yeah. and that was the moment. Bring that big bird. Talk with Trish and Shona. We are slightly excited about this edition of Girl Talk as our guest is pretty fabulous, let me tell you. As his Twitter bio says, he is a performer, an MC, a choreographer, a creative, a contributor to Ireland AM and Elaine on Virgin Media Television. Last year in an interview with Hot Press, he said, I started out choreographing for drag queens in Dublin. I knew instinctively I couldn't really keep the LGBTQ crowd entertained if I didn't do something a little bit different. So I said to myself, if you can't beat the drag queens, join them, but still keep your own vibe. And if you saw him on Ireland's Got Talent, you will know that he did that and then some. It's Diversity Month on Beat and we are delighted and excited to chat to the wonderful Paul Ryder. Welcome. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that was, that was a mouthful, I tell you. That was a proper little introduction. <laughs> well, that's all about you. And what we should point out uh, to people that are listening is that not only have you done all that, but you're also sat today in your own beautifully uh, created studio by oh. your other half, which is, you know, just making us feel inadequate about our own partners, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just, I felt like I needed like a glam room just to make myself feel a little bit better because obviously for the last couple of months we've had no job. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I might as well just make myself feel better while sitting at home. And that's what, that's what I've been doing. And like I, like you said, my partner's amazing and he's a, he's a handyman in a way, whereas I wouldn't know, I can barely put clothes out on a line. So, you know, he's the one to, he's the one to do all the bits. Well, you're on Beats Girl Talk, but it looks like you're on E, to be honest. It looks like you're doing a report for E! News, like live from the red carpet with Paul Ryder. <laughs> We're going to live from the glam room here in the middle of Tala, which is not the most glamorous of locations. Well, look, you're faking it. Um, come here to me. Obviously, as I said, this is uh, Diversity Month on Beat, and we are really, really happy and privileged to have you. And I suppose, look, you've always been very open and honest in the conversations that you've had over the years, which I think most people have found just really, really helpful and insightful. But for anybody that doesn't know, I suppose let's talk a little bit about for you coming out in Ireland, a little bit about that experience. Was it overall a positive one? No, I think, well, I think I was kind of, as, at such a young age, your sexuality doesn't really come into your brain until you kind of reach secondary school. So I always knew I was a little bit different. I knew I was a little bit quirky. I knew I preferred the girls over the boys as like a circle of friends, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and I always knew that I was always a, the older boys were always more extravagant more more flamboyant because I was in dance school so any older boy nine times out of ten was was gay mm. um, but of course gay to me was always a word that was just heard on the streets or you were hurled at 
you know, in school corridors. Now, my primary school experience was so, so good. I was, I was, you were, I was really loved and really looked after by my teachers and stuff. And then secondary school hits, and anybody knows in this day and age, the secondary school is a war zone. It's yeah. an absolute war zone. And it was a really, really tough time. I ended up leaving school halfway through fifth year because the bullying just got so, so bad. Oh, wow. Um, and I, again, we'll, I know we'll talk about him later on, but my father was the one that sat in the car park after so much kind of back and forth and with the school. The school were really awful. They were not helpful at all. They basically said, unless there's physical violence on Paul, there's nothing we can do. Oh, wow. Um, and I wasn't only bullied by the by the students. I was also bullied by some of the teachers. It was a rugby school that I went to. Mm. So, like, if you weren't playing rugby, you, you were nobody. And, of course, I was the one prancing and flancing around in dance things and bits and bobs. So to the, to my rugby teachers, I was like, I was the worst of the worst. So they were even a little bit kind of borderline bullying at times. Um, but, again, one day my dad just sat in the car with me as he was driving up and said, if you don't want to go back in there, you really, really don't have to. And I bawled my eyes out and we drove away and I never saw that school again. And that's where my life began because from that moment on, I was really able to not hide myself, not hide my quirkiness and hide my 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 gaiety, I suppose we can call it. Um, and I was allowed to just be myself. So from there, it's been all the way up. Now you get celebrated by by those people who, who love your weirdness and love your quirks. But the coming out process was a tough one at the start. It was mm. a tough one at the start. But it is for everybody. I'm not different to anybody else that is gay and coming out. It, coming out is a bloody nightmare for anybody in in any country. So you know, we're just part. We're just another part. Of the, it's another part of your chapter, I suppose. Just to go back to that school experience, and obviously you're young, so it's not that long ago that you were in that position. Did you have friends in school that you could talk to? Did you feel like you had anybody that you could go to? Like, luckily you had your dad. You know, not everybody even has that. But, like, was there anyone within the school that you could talk to? No, there was, weirdly enough, funnily enough, I had one person in school who was quite, I was quite close with. But again, he was borderline... Be, being careful because he didn't want to be seen to be around the, the you know, that that kid, like the, the, the weird gay kid. But he was also an actor. And he goes by the name of Johnny Ward, ah. who is like Dancing wow. with the Stars, Love Hate. So we were both in a similar position yeah. that he was he was getting called gay, but he clearly wasn't gay. He mm. was just doing it, doing the, the kind of acting stuff. So me and Johnny, I always confided in Johnny. Johnny was a really, really good pal. Um, and other than that, absolutely not. I didn't really have any friends in secondary school that I would kind of stick have today or even care to mention yeah when I kind of walked out of that school I really walked out of that experience and went I never want to see any of those people again and I've come across those people since and like they've seen the interviews I've done or they've seen the stuff I've, I've talked about and they've gone god you really gave them a hard time and I'm like yeah absolutely and I hope that they change I hope that they change their policies and I hope that they change their ways about looking after LGBTQ plus kids who may or may not come through their doors in the years to come because I might not have been strong enough to deal with mm. it. I might, I'm strong enough to deal with it, but you might find a child who isn't strong enough to deal with it and it could end up in a really bad way. Now, you said there that they, um, you've seen them since. Has anybody ever apologised or ever said anything as in, you know, offering you some sort of sorry in any way? 
No, I think I think that once you reach past a certain age, there was one guy who was a really, really, he was an, it was an absolute a hole, if I can say that. Mm, yeah, um, you can say it. You can swear. I, he, I was I was working in the Dragon Bar, which was on George's Street, yeah. which would have been the kind of the George's the George's sister bar. So it was a big gay bar. And at this stage, I would have had my own show, kind of on a Friday, Saturday night. So she was living her best life. She was <laughs> doing the gig. She was making the coin. Yes. Um, and next of all, somebody just tapped me on the shoulder, and it was this guy. His name was Richard, um, and. He he tapped me on the shoulder and was like, oh, you're still doing the dancing, are you? And I was like, yeah, I really, really am. I picked up my gin and tonic. I went to the front door and I said to the bouncer, I need somebody removed. Why? Because they don't make me feel safe in this environment. And I had that shithead removed from that bar. And I well literally done. walked behind him and was like, bye-bye, day-day, see you later. Because... That was my power because he took away the power yeah. from me as a child. So I said to myself, I know revenge is not, al- is not always the best thing, but in that moment in time, it felt really, really good to be able to go, get out of my pub. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> You're almost vindicated in that moment. Yeah. Yes, all those years. I was, I was Peggy Mitchell vindicated and I'm so okay with that. Oh my God, no Love better it. person. Even when you throw somebody out, you do it fabulously with a glass yep. in your hand. I was going to say, you had the gin and tonic in your hand. You really set the scene I can imagine you walking up to the bench and going, excuse me, darling. <laughs> Get him out. <laughs> Love it. And then Phil Mitchell walked through the door and it was all wolves. <laughs> um, Paul, obviously we met back in Dublin when I was live, living there um, a few years ago before all of this took off, all the fame and the celeb and all the rest. And um, I just want to know, as kind of my career has grown I felt especially now in this time I felt like um, a sort of responsibility to kind of represent the BAME community now I'm wondering for you do you experience that yourself do you feel a sort of pressure to kind of represent your community as in you know you're in the public eye people are looking up to you do you feel that at all or is there um, is there a kind of disconnect sometimes Absolutely. I think that sometimes drag queens can be perceived as crude and we can be perceived as vulgar. And I think there is an element of that, but there's also an element of that, say, in a comedian side of thing or, you know, in any sort of performer, there is that. What I do with that and what I do with that responsibility is because obviously the public eye thing for me is a weird one. Um, but I look at it from the point of view of the kids I teach. I've been running my, my stage school for just two years and I always go is this something my kids can watch? Is this something I can say about my kids? Are my kids watching this? And if I feel that that's okay for them, well, then the responsibility, that's my responsibility to make sure that it's okay for them to see and for them to still be proud of me and still be able to look up to me as a role model. And I think I take that as a wide frame with regards to being in the public eye and and trying to do your best and show your best, that Mm -hmm. if a child can do it, or you can show a child it's okay, well, then it's okay to do it in general. But even making decisions with career, you have to be so careful and you have to be so, just so cautious that you don't upset the wrong people or don't upset the right people and the terms and terminology. Even when it comes to yeah. LGBTQ+, you know, those pronouns, the pronouns, the he, the him, the she, the her, it, you have to be so, so careful. So you're always, you're always being careful, but always learning. I think it's a case of yeah. once you're always learning you're adapting yourself to a new society because as you know society changes every single day and and things are we're still fighting and we're still kind of making sure that things are done right yeah yeah that makes sense and and that's ongoing i guess but one of the things that you kind of touched on earlier and we said we would come back to which is you know really obviously special and close to your heart i interviewed you two years ago and it was after your 
Ireland's Got Talent moment where you shun like nobody has ever shunned before. You are actually a class act, let me tell you. I watched your audition back again Thank just you. yesterday just to remind myself of how fabulous you are. Yeah. But one of the things that you spoke about when I interviewed you, you were coming to Waterford, by the way, we should point that out, back in the day when you could actually go to a live gig and you came up on this. We were all very sweaty that night watching you. Where were we again? Where was that? Um, oh, it was one of the clubs in town. I can't oh. even remember where it was. Cause it was, was it Revolution? It was, Revolution. Yeah, it's a Revolution. That's it was it. Revolution, well remembered. Wow, and, and memory you, on you. I remember that. <laughs> you were the star. But we were all very sweaty and uh, we were there to see you. It was a brilliant night, fabulous, mm. wonderful. Back when we could do that, remember those days? Um, mm. That was and that was one of my first gigs after Ireland's Got yeah. Talent. I think I, I think I got the call about a day after, and I said yes, absolutely, get me back to a stage and and get me back to my friends. And because Waterford had been such a good place to me, yeah. Waterford, as I said to you in my first interview, Waterford had given me a lot of opportunities. Mm. So I was only delighted to go back and see some very friendly and very familiar faces. One of the things that you mentioned in that interview was your wonderful dad and how he was always above and beyond your biggest supporter. And just in terms of your own journey, just talk to us a little bit about that and how much having his backing and then some meant to you. I think that over, I don't think I, I, you know how much your parents mean to you, you know how much your parents support you. And I don't know any different. I only knew that they were always there to support me, especially my dad, who would come to, who would come to gigs without me even knowing he was coming. He'd just rock in and I'd be told, yeah, he's at the bar with a pint of Guinness in his hands and he's about to order a whiskey and he's having an absolute ball. Yeah. And then you'd walk out on the stage and you'd be like, there's my dad. Like, that is, and I am here dressed like a giant clown. Like, what is going on? And as I said to you in that last interview, you would come back the following week and people would be like, oh my God, I met your dad. And you're like, oh my God, that's weird, but kind of okay. And I don't think, it's only when it's gone that you actually realise how amazing that is. And it's only when it's gone that you you kind of treasure those moments and you kind of go, God, I wish I hadn't have, I wish I had have had another drink with him. I wish I had have, you know, mm. bought a shot and kind of said, look, let's talk about this or let's talk about that or da 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 because when it's gone and you don't really have that support network anymore, it's tough, especially because, and especially in the last three years, there's been so much that's happened in my life that he would be the most proud person in the room and he would be the most proud proud advocate for me and for what I stand yeah. for and to not have that in the last kind of three years and to share my success, a success that I know he wanted so badly for me as well. I think that that's been tough. But in saying that, I know that he's there, he's smiling, he's so happy for me and he's just pushing me on for more. And I'm aware that every single opportunity that comes to the door, has he has something to do with it. He definitely has something to do with it. And I'm blessed to always have that, always have that angel on my shoulder. But as well as that, I'm blessed to have some amazing supporters in friends, family, my, my partner is amazing. So I think that you're sent these people by that one person yeah. and that's how I feel about that. Oh, wait, Your dad sounded amazing. like he was an amazing guy and he raised a fantastic he was, son. He was such a messer. He was like me. Was he, he was so yeah. bold and so like so crude at the wrong moments when you're like, don't say that. But actually it's kind of gas. And that's, that, that's my humour. That's my yeah, humor. yeah, yeah. I love that. I really, really do love that. And I think you'd be so proud of you as yeah. well, Paul. You should know that. Now, you. you've spoken to us in the past about um, uh, lots of things. So... Pride was a big thing for you and Pride, you seem to just take over. Um, now tell me, what was it like being the host of that and what was it like maybe, you know, even having that responsibility and how important is Pride in Ireland? 
Well, I think obviously like that, as I said, the success in the last three years has been has been so nice for me to see. And I've worked I've worked hard. Success comes comes yeah. success comes as you both know when you work hard, and especially in an industry like this where you're only as good as your last gig. Um, so to get the kind of call for Pride three years ago to kind of take the reins off Panty, who has been the host of Dublin Pride for the last kind of however many years, yeah. and to to do that was an absolute major honour, and I cried when I got the call. And then this year, obviously, things changed and things went a little bit different, and we went virtual. And the funny thing is, when we got the phone call to say, look, we're going to go virtual, I thought, ah, yeah, little green screen in the back of the George, <laughs> I might bring a bottle of gin, and we'll have a little giggle, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah. Then I got then I got the kind of speck of the email and it was such a massive undertake. There was like a four camera setup. It was proper going live to however many people. It was in the round room of the mansion house. It was just this big massive deal. Then I kind of cracked myself. Yeah. Then I was like, oh no, oh no. Um, but to take the reins was kind of such a such a beautiful thing this year because you really had to listen to the messages that were being yeah. sent across because obviously pride pride means something different to everybody. Mm. Some people mean it's a party. Some people it's a it's a it's a march and it's a standing for what's right. But on that day this year in 2020, we got to really take in what it was about for everybody. We got to have the party. We got to have the fun, and we also got to hear the messages from some amazing people. And it wasn't just Dublin Pride. It was I really felt like it was a pride for Ireland and a pride to be proud of for what we did for the first ever massive uh, virtual pride. And listen, pride is, pride means, as I said there, pride means something different for everybody. It's so important now, especially now with so much going on in the world that you take from pride what you want to take from it. Mm. Um, and like only, only four days ago, I was being screamed faggot uh, from a car no. beside what? me like that and that's where we're still fighting for that like that that word shouldn't be associated with a gay person and it shouldn't be associated as a slur and you know especially with as i said so much going on in the world we really have to be mindful about what it means to everybody so what you think it means is totally different to what i think Mm. it means but all around i feel like unity in this country and this country is is good for that. We're a progressive nature. We're a, we're a progressive being in Ireland. I think we've done really, really some amazing things over the last year. Be it, be it the marriage referendum, mm-hmm. be it the yes vote for for abortion rights. We've done so so much, and I think as a nation, we're progressive that way. And I hope that pride can continue to help for our 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 black friends, our bi friends, mm-hmm. our trans friends and our friends who are trying to be parents in this country and just really come together and show that the unity that we've been showing ourselves the last couple of years can continue. Sorry, I completely went on a mad one. No, I mean, I think, like, I hope you don't mind me asking. You you mentioned that story there and you you, you covered it really well and then you, you just said, look, we need to continue the work that we're doing. But how, how did that actually make you feel, that incident? How did you react? Yeah. Did you go home and go, it's fine? Or what, what was going through your head? I've, I've still not reacted, if you want my honest okay. opinion. It's a weird one. It happened It happened on the street. Uh, there was a, I was driving down one of the big roads here in Dublin and there was somebody going right up behind me and I was like, I'm going the speed limit, what's the need? And he was proper like going at me like in behind the car. So my partner said, just move over to the left lane, it's fine. Mm. As I moved over to the left lane, I put my hand out as if to kind of go, what's your problem? Yeah. And when we pulled up to the, we pulled up to the lights, he kind of put the window down. I was like, what's your effing problem? What's your effing problem? And I just put the window up. But as I was putting the window up, we were driving off and he just screamed. And he screamed really angrily, which got me even worse. Yeah. But he was like, you effing faggot. Oh. And do you know what the bigger thing is? His his company 
his company was on the side of his van. And it wasn't just a small little, it wasn't just a small little contracting company. He was part of a big company. So I said to my partner, I said, did you take down his, A, the name of the company and B, the reg? And he went, yeah, I did. And I still don't know what to do with that information. I still, to this day, go, and this was only on Sunday, this happened on Sunday. So I was like, do I go to his company? Do I do I go to the guards about it? Because you're told nowadays, like the chief commissioner of the guard, told me himself, if you ever suffer, um, homophobic abuse, bring it to the Gardaí, they will deal with it. Yeah. But it's, we live in such a weird nation that I would be afraid he'd rock up at my door or he would get, he would lose his job. And the last thing I want is for somebody to be stuck on the dole or stuck on something like that. It's, it, it goes around and around in my mind, but it just goes to show you that those words are so easily just thrown so. out into the universe. Without it, without even without even thinking about what the consequence. But when I tell you, I was shook for a good hour, a good hour and a half afterwards. I shouldn't feel like that at the age of thirty three, yeah. and be in the world we live in now. You know, a similar situation. I I've been in similar situations where stuff like that has happened, and I've completely frozen. Yeah. As in, I don't know how to react because it just feels so unnatural, and it feels. It feels it's it's shocking because as you said, you're surrounded by love and you're surrounded by people that care about you that when you hear this, you don't know how to react. But what I would say is I would act on that. I'm learning so much now. And I said this to Shona um, a few weeks ago. Before everything happened, say with the George Floyd and everything happened, I, I genuinely didn't put myself in it. I didn't, I didn't. Yes. I, yeah, you, yeah, you're so removed, I think. And I think once all that happened, I, I actually started to say, this is about me as well. It's my fight. And if I stay silent or if I don't say anything, then what, what good is me saying to someone else, you speak? You know, what good is it me trying to get everybody else to do it if I'm not going to do it myself? So I've kind of tried to I've tried to start to just think about it a little bit more and make sure that if I feel strong enough in that mm. moment I will say something now because I know how important it is for myself for my own self-esteem and for my own mental health yeah and just for the mere fact that I I, I would hope that say my younger siblings or my sister or just people who I'm talking to would do the same thing you know I think we decompartmentalize it because it's never us that it normally happens to. Yeah. It's always something that we read about in a story or we see it in the news and we kind of go, oh God, that must be awful for yeah. that person. But then when it happened, I tell you, like I said to you, that I haven't been called a faggot in, you're probably talking like six, seven years. Nobody has, has used that name in a derogatory fashion to me. Even the kids on the street who who I walk past and they might know I'm a drag queen or they might have seen me somewhere. They go, ah, how's it going? And we have the chat. And they would be the ones that you would expect because they're supposed to be ignorant. They're supposed to be not as well brought up. But nowadays it's the kids Mm. who are brought up better because we live in such a diverse and such such a united Ireland now that, it's discussed. There's there's gay people on television. There's black people on television. There's mm. all sorts of different different nationalities, cultures, genders, sets, whatever it is. We, it's now the older generation who are the idiots about it. Yeah. They're the people who are still using the slurs that we we shouldn't be hearing these days. Mm.
I think, look, what, what I'm about to say does prove that change has come about. Um, last year, you spoke about the marriage referendum in an interview. Must be lovely to be quoted. That means that you've really made it when somebody quotes you in an interview. You said this in 2019, Paul Ryder, and I'll just read it out for you here now. You put it so beautifully when you said, something lifted in the air that day in May 2015 and we're becoming more of a diverse country all the time. I genuinely think it's built into us as Irish people to be more accepting of each other. Now, unfortunately, that 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 situation that you just described happened. But what was lovely there is you talked about the younger people and the younger generation and how they are the voice. And let's face it, they are the future and they now have this unique opportunity to pave the way. And I'm not putting I'm not putting what happened down to me on Sunday as a unified mm. thing. That was one isolated incident. Yeah. And as I said to you, I've not been called I've not been called a homophobic slur in many, many years. So I'm not shunning the world. We're in a very, very tough time where I do feel like we're taking we're taking three or four steps back right now because we're just a bit confused as to what's happening, what we can do, yeah. what we can't do. And I put that down to our government not giving us clear guidelines as to what what we're supposed to be doing, like they have been doing for the last couple of months in this mad situation. But I just urge people and I urge kids to keep going the way you're going. Mm. Keep accepting those different around you because you're preparing us for the most beautiful nation. Bar one or two little shits, but you're preparing us for the most most beautiful nation to come and you're preparing your children for the exact same, if not better. So, and I think because I work with kids so much and I see the sponges that they are, that they're so resilient and they take in everything. And like I said at the start, I always go, will my kids be proud of me? Mm. And I, I try and push that forward across everything when it comes to how you feel, how you work, everything. Yeah. And when you said that, when you described that something lifted in the air that day, I'd love to know what was it like where were you when you heard the news what was the what was the atmosphere what did you do do you know what the funny thing was I was working in a retail store I was working in a clothes store at the time um, I the dragon had closed okay. I was I hadn't got work you know the, the gigs had dried up I wasn't really teaching so I was in a really weird form of my life I'd been in I just started a kind of a weird relationship and it, it wasn't really a good time um, my friends had left the country. It was all mad. Mm. And I was working in a clothes store and I was working in the in the, the back room, like where the, the stock room, sorry, I was working in the stock room and I was listening to the news all day and I'd been in the night before. So you were kind of hearing figures just kind of go. Mm. And it got to about one o'clock. And I remember just kind of going out to the, the floor and coming back in and them saying, it's a, it's it looks like a landslide. It looks like a landslide. And I swear to God, I just stopped. And I just listened. Oh God, I'm getting a bit upset. And I just listened. And I just cried. I literally just cried. And my boss at the time came in and she said, go. She said, I don't care what you're doing. She said, just go and do whatever you need to do. She said, literally just go. And I think I rang my friends. And we just went into town and we basked. Like, I'm getting goosebumps in my hair. My arms are sticking up. We just basked in the in the environment of what it was. It was like the best pride parade you could ever be a part of. It was like Christmas pride, St. Patrick's Day, all rolled into one. Nobody had a weird look for anybody. Everybody was smiling, everybody was nodding. And you were, this is the most amazing thing about pride. Pride is now not just because of the marriage referendum, pride is not just for the gays, the lesbians, the bisexuals, the transgenders. It's for families. There's so much there for families. And it's all about that unity feeling and you can't you can't buy that feeling that you felt in May uh, 2015 it was just 
absolutely beautiful to walk the streets and see your friends and and just give that look of we we did it yeah. we absolutely did it and now we have a place proudly in this country yeah. and that was the moment that it just there was no the racial the, the homophobic slurs just went away because because it's like well you voted us you voted yeah. us to 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 love who we want so you can't take that back anymore mm. and it was just i'll never forget it i'll never ever forget it and i love the fact that now you are in a blossoming relationship yeah. so is that something on the car so <laughs> wink wink oh oh bitch you know it oh, <laughs> like like we've discussed it and we're only together like we're not even we're just together a year um, yeah. next month but I feel like at our at when you get to a certain age and I'm not saying oh when you get to my age but when you get to a certain age when you know you know yes. when somebody just continuously adds to your life yeah. and is supportive and there, there's no fear there's no hiding who yes. I am there's no hiding anything I'm just so open honest and yeah, absolutely, I want to marry him, but I want to make sure that it happens the absolute right way. And he wants me to propose. I, I apparently I'm not, I'm oh. not, he's not proposing. He, he and I'm totally okay with that because you know she's going to bring the show, like the yes. fireworks, the, the everything is going <laughs> to... The glitz, like, the glamour, it's all going to happen. I was about to say, so I want to be at the wedding and at the proposal, okay? I want to see this. Have you seen Have you oh. seen uh, Christine's wedding in Selling Sunset with the swans yes, and the I snow? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just a proposal. So, like, she, she got the idea for me to see. So. <laughs> no, oh. but, but do you know what, just to just to feel safe, mm. just to feel safe in myself and know because it's been tough over the last kind of couple of years because success came at a really really good great rate for me and to not have somebody there by my side to discuss it with uh, was kind of tough. So now I I get to share my yeah. good I get to share the good vibes with somebody and say like we're building a future where we have and we have our goals we know what we want from each other we know what we want from this life um and i think that that's so so important oh. now tell me if i'm prying because i want to know all about the love and all about yes so how did you meet and like tell me all about it Paul. she's thrown the questions yeah, they've I'm gone sorry. out the window yeah, yeah. never mind <laughs> what we were going to discuss like, <laughs> we'll get back I, I, to I that get a gin out of the yes do <laughs> please do <laughs> Uh, well, weirdly enough, we actually met on Instagram. Ooh, so yeah. Well, so I mean, we it's had, the twenty-first uh, century now. Everybody's doing it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I, do you know what? I, dating apps are fine, and Tinder and all that sort of stuff yeah. is cool. But I actually was so happy that it wasn't a case of when somebody asked, "Oh yeah, we met on this," or so we yeah, met on that. Yeah. It was like, "Oh no, we met on Instagram. We had a shared interest in fashion, mm. and we text for a while, and then I kind of said, look." do you want to go on a date and he because he was from Belfast so he drove down from Belfast um, and he walked into my house and I think in the space of 30 minutes we said hi three times but we literally just kissed for the whole like 28 minutes of of like the first thing and that's when I knew he walked in my door and was like that's the man I'm going to marry oh. that is the man I'm going to marry did you not say um, anything and then we had a, did, like there was no conversation we didn't speak we we just kissed. We just kissed. We could not stop kissing oh because it was just such this explosion of love. And I just, I knew there and then. And then I said to myself, okay, well, if it's lust, it's lust. That's fine. Yeah. We went for dinner and we talked and talked and talked until they basically had to kick us out of the restaurant. And yeah, we had the most unbelievable first date, which then went into the second date and then into the third date. And I think pretty quickly after like day three, it was like, 
yeah, you're, you're not going anywhere. Uh-huh. You're not going anywhere. And he felt, and he felt the same. So it was kind of, it was kind of nice. And now he lives here. Like obviously during lockdown, he had to make a decision as to be in Dublin or Belfast, and he chose Dublin. So he he lives here full time. And we're currently looking for our own place, which is so weird. Oh, so you're going to move oh. in together, or is he living with you now? Well, he's living with me now, but we live here. I, I, I moved back in with my mom when my dad died because mm. she wasn't she wouldn't be the most able woman in the world. Um, so I was just kind of here to give her a hand. Yeah. So now we're looking we're now we're looking for our very own place. And does he have your mama's seal of approval? Oh my god, she likes him more than she likes me. <laughs> so like. It's it's kind of weird because because he's so handyman. Like I said, he does everything. Yes. He cleans. He has plants in the house. We've just gotten a dog. We've, oh. we we just had a newborn child. Congratulations! <laughs> is, is sleeping through the night? No, no. I still get up at three and oh. I get up at eight, half seven, eight o'clock. Early and he, days. But he naps through the day, so he's, oh, he's feeding well. Oh, he's very well behaved. He's in puppy training with the GSPCA. He's oh. doing so so good. Cute. So like we're we're full on like two new parents. And what kind of pup is it? He is a blue staffy. Oh. And he is the most handsome thing. His name is Jimmy. Oh um James when he's bold, yes. which is quite a lot at the moment. <laughs> uh but he's absolutely amazing and he's just kinda of, he's kinda of, he gives you that extra bit of responsibility and that kind of extra kind of like smile at the end of the day to be like, That's my son. Oh. That's my son. <laughs> so we're very much that couple. So I apologize, please don't get sick. No, you've nothing to apologise for. Thank you for going off script there, Trish. That was excellent. Do it again. (laughs) No, back to business. Now, um, so when it comes to, say, the landscape right now, you've spoken about, you know, how things have changed from the past and it's more so the older generation, you think, that needs to essentially change. The young people coming up now, we kind of know where we're going with this. We know what to do. But where do you think we're getting it absolutely right and nailing it when it comes to the issues, LGBTQ+, and when it comes to um, uh, other nationalities as well, being in Ireland? Where do you think we're getting it right? And where do you think maybe we could, you know, brush up a little bit more? I think we're getting it right by doing that thing that Irish people do and listening. And we're listening to those that have a voice we're listening to those that are speaking out and saying what they need to say and i know social media can be an absolute mind f at the best of times Mm, but i do feel like that as a nation when somebody says something that's worth listening to Mm. we stop we listen we take it in and i think that we 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 try and adapt so i do feel like as an irish nation we are progressive in that manner that if somebody has something to say we stop we listen and we make sure that it's that it's right for us Mm. Um, I think when you when you talk about going wrong at the moment, because I feel like the government haven't got a clear guideline as to what they're doing with this COVID situation and there's no clear leadership mm. that the going wrong is being done also by that same nation who should be listening. Yeah. Because we're too busy making up our own rules. We're too busy saying, no, we shouldn't be wearing masks. We shouldn't be hand sanitizing. I need to get back out into the nation. Do I feel like that would be happening if we weren't in this situation? No, I feel like people would be listening a little bit more and we, our conversations would be open. But... Even with the even with the recent like Black Lives Matter movement, I just feel like we stood strong and we marched. And yeah. yes, there was times where it was a bit weird because it wasn't a, a socially distanced march. Mm. But did the figures spike? Did we have to go mm. into an even further lockdown? Absolutely not. And as much as you wanted to kind of say, oh yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong, just shut up and listen. And if it did spike, it spiked. Mm. But something was said, a message was had, and I feel like. 
we owe that same we owe that same kind of love affection and support to our black friends and sisters and brothers that they gave to us when it came to the marriage referendum yes. because everybody was out in the streets protesting for this and knocking door to door and saying you know you need to help you need to help so it's the same with, with the trans community they have a lot of rights that they're fighting for and we need to just stand together so i think this is a little bump in the road where it's gone wrong mm. that we're too busy making up our own rules, but I think as a nation, as things start to, as the as the curve flattens, mm -hmm. we'll come back to normal mm. and we'll be back to fighting for the for the right fight and making sure that we're standing by those that we need to stand by who stood by us before. Absolutely. And you have such a platform now, and you mentioned social media there, and obviously you know media in general. Like you do a lot of television work, and you use your own social media for you know. I'm really interested when I follow you. I'm always like, what's he saying now? He always you know you've got a good head on your shoulders, as they say. But what what would you got like? We've got a head in our shoulders. But what would you like to see more of in, <laughs> in terms of the whole social media being used for for the good? What would you like to see there? Somebody asked me that question in an interview last week, and I actually kind of shut down because they asked me like, "Oh, what should we change about social media?" And it's such a tool. Yeah. At times, but then it's also such a weapon mm. at times. So it really is a double edged sword. And actually, I said to the person who interviewed me last week, I said. I need to come back to that because you've given me something to really, really think about. Um, and I still kind of stand by that because we use social media for so much good and we use it to kind of send our message across yeah. because the messages wouldn't have got across in the last kind of couple of months if we didn't have it. But then we also, like I say, used it as a weapon. Mm. Um, so it's a really, really tough one. And I still live in that middle ground of not knowing, not knowing what's good and what's bad when it comes to, to social and stuff like that. I use it to try and put the message across, like you said, the, the good message that I stand by and to, you know, promote your gigs and make yourself yeah. look nice and do all that sort of good stuff. As a as a whole, from what I see, I think I choose not to see that stuff. I think there's days where you just need to switch off. Mm. Actually, that's it. Use it as a tool. And if you're going to use it as a weapon, maybe just switch off. Maybe take a little social media break. You have yeah. to applaud those people who go, guys, I need a couple of days just to, to switch off because things are getting nasty. Don't read the comments. I've mistakenly read the comments on certain things over the years about myself and about my friends. And that's when you're going to turn it into using it as a weapon. If you need to take time away, take time away. If you were sick in your job, you'd have a week yeah. off. You'd be, you'd be rostered a week off. If social media is damaging your mental health, just take a bit of time away. Yeah, I think it's... It comes down to, well, I always come back to this, right? If you are following people or pages on social media that are not making you feel good about yourself, mm. that are evoking some kind of a negative reaction or maybe you're feeling jealous or you're feeling, you're just not feeling like you should, then take your mm. take a step back, unfollow. Same with, you know, you mentioned comments and sometimes we all fall down that hole on Twitter of reading you know, a negative article and we read the comments and we get sucked into it. Yeah. Does it make us feel good about ourselves? Absolutely not. But even what's, what's good about that is, like you said there, and it, it struck such gold with me there because I felt it over lockdown, that I could see other friends, other artists were doing stuff yeah. through their lockdown, mm. whereas I wasn't. And I swear to God, like you said, the guilt and the jealousy and the paranoia that goes through your brain about what other people are doing is so kind of nasty. And I had to switch off. Yeah. But then there was days where there was three really bad days during lockdown that I really felt bad about myself and I really felt low. And nobody, not my partner, not anybody could kind of take me out mm. of that. And I said it on Twitter, I said, having a really bad day. And 
it opened a floodgate of the most beautiful messages, beautiful DMs, beautiful things that people just had to say and kind of said, look, we're all going through it. You'll, you'll be fine tomorrow. A new day is coming. And it was so, so true. So on the same breath of, like I said earlier, that it was the worst in the world on yeah. some days, it actually kind of saved my brain on other days. Yeah, so yeah. I feel utilize it to the best of your advantage on what you need to get from it, what you want to get yes. at the start of a day. And don't scroll if you don't want to scroll. Yeah. yeah. When you get in those moments, because you just mentioned there, you just touched on it and you said, you know, you get those dark moments and we all do. But how do you deal with it? How do you how do you bring yourself out of that? I I I go to the gym a lot. Okay. And I know that that seems kind of like as a funny one, but the gym for me has saved my mental health over the years. A lot, yeah. a lot of times. And even even just to kind of take myself out of a rut for an hour, I might just say, right, just go down to the gym and just, or even just go for a walk. When the, when the gym was closed, it was take the dog and go for a walk and just process your own thoughts and take take time away and always remember that it's only going to be for a certain length of time. Mm, yeah. You're going, And it was even how I dealt with my dad's death and grief because everybody deals with grief so differently. And I always describe it to people who've lost friends or they've lost family. I say, you're currently in a tunnel and the light looks really, really far away. Yeah. Tomorrow, you're going to be right beside that light. And in three days time, you could be halfway in that tunnel. Yeah. That is always going to be a scale for you. And it's how you deal with it and how you try and get yourself out of it to get towards the light will really determine how you're how you're going to feel about it. I know that seems a bit preachy and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, but I've always kind of, it was always something that guided me through. So every day after my dad had died, I'd be like, right, well, where am I standing in the tunnel? And I would think about it that way and go, tomorrow will be a new day. You'll be able to think about other things and move forward that way. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, one of the things that um, you touched on, and so did Trish, was the fact that I suppose being on Ireland's Got Talent was the thing that kind of catapulted you and rose you to fame. And you mentioned there about the negative comments and you you did in the past look at your own. So how did you or what advice would you give to anybody that's read something about themselves or been in that place where they've seen something that they wish they hadn't and and want to move past it? I think I think that there we all know there are are keyboard warriors and they're just people who are just typing for the sake of typing. And and I even think recently with the whole Marty Gilfoyle thing of the goat house was such a was such a mass. I don't know whether you guys covered it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you did. Um, But even looking at that and and Marty, who is one of the most genuine people in the absolute world. I love the bones of him. even he, you know, released somebody that had said something about him and then he blocked out the name and they were taking it back straight away. They were like, they were retracting their comments straight away and that's it. It's all a case of they just want to say it to say it. They want to throw these things out there just for the sake of saying it. There's no accountability. Um, I think Sorry, don't, yeah, sorry, they, don't like, mean to cut over you, but no, there's no, no right. accountability it's, it's, at all. Absolutely. And I think that that's what people need to remember. But also by checking in with your friends and just kind of, if you see something, say it out loud and kind of don't get into a fight with that person because mm. you're just, you're fighting a losing battle that's only going to get even more deep in yourself. But just check in with a friend. You always have that one person that you can send that screenshot to and go, look at this thing, what she just said to me. Mm. And they're going to go, well, I hope you know that they're not X, Y, and Z. And if you've got that one person in your corner, be it one person, be it 10 people, be it 100,000 people, you will always be, you'll always be able to rise above it. Yeah. And 
and the proof will be in the pudding because I firmly believe, and this goes across, you know, everything. Karma's a bitch. Yeah. Karma oh, is. Oh, I love it. She's a weapon. Oh, yeah. And I think that karma will always come to bite them in the bum. And fingers crossed that that happens to a lot of people in, in, in this world. The thing about karma, though, sometimes she takes too bloody long and you're waiting. <laughs> you're waiting. Oh, I, I, I'm ringing that customer service being like, Karma, you should have been here about six weeks ago, sis. I want the money Money back. back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are fabulous. Right, we're going to end on a positive note. Um, and as Ooh. I said at the start, it is Diversity Month here on Beat yes. and we've been having a really wonderful time. So I wanted to ask you, what is something that you, Paul Ryder, wish that you could now tell that young boy who got into the car that day with his dad and your dad said, you're never going back in there what would you what would you tell that young Paul I would tell him to keep doing as you're doing things are going to work out um don't take yourself too seriously because life is one big board game of ups downs middles and in-betweens and always remember that one day your weirdness your quirkiness your gayness your happiness will be celebrated and you will be sitting on the top of the world going, I am the best version of me that I can be. And it can only get better from here. Oh, oh thank you well, for giving us the best out. But also, thank you for being so open and honest. And I think genuinely a massive help to a lot of people who are going through their own journey right now. I. I don't think we're ever going to have a guest on Girl Talk who had a as much of a fabulous backdrop. Shout out to your other half. That's incredible. And can I also just say, I don't think I've ever seen a guy rock a black T-shirt the way Paul Ryder rocks one. What is going on? Seriously. What the... Like, it's just a black T-shirt. You're looking fierce. Do you know what? Lockdown, I gained so much weight over lockdown. I'm, like my, I'm back with my personal trainer. And is it on your tie there? Do you want to, we can't see. <laughs> <laughs> but this, the, you can always rock a black tee, whether you're fat, skinny, in between or whatever. A black tee will always keep you looking a little, well, especially because I've got the lights ahead of me as well. I'm, I'm trying my best. And I did have a bit of a powder down, but I'm sweating because I don't know what it's like in Waterford, but it is so yeah. warm in Dublin. Yeah, humid. It's humid. Very humid. Hum- yeah, it's that disgusting humid. It's that five, between five and seven in the middle of Spain where you're trying to have a nap and you just can't sleep because you're too busy thinking about the cocktails later on. Do you know what I mean? How <laughs> we get to <laughs> On that note, you, my dear, have been an absolute hoot. Thank you for giving us your time on Beat. Thank you so much, gang. Thanks, Paul. Girl Talk with Trish and Shona.